You're listening to a sermon by New Hill Church. We pray this message helps you put Jesus into perspective. If you have any questions about this message or a relationship with Jesus, email us at engage at newhilloh.com. Church, I'm excited just to, to be with you guys this morning. I'm excited to have my uh, father-in-law and mother-in-law here today uh, holding my uh, little baby daughter ever uh, this morning. Uh, we were talking to them last night and they were singing happy birthday to Aubrey and they asked what time service was, and like my mind was just like, why would they ask that? And then Aubrey can never remember what time we have service. Even when we were dating uh, Don, she couldn't remember what time Antioch had service where my father-in-law was pastoring. So I've just always had to help her, and I was like, 10 a.m., but like this just seems weird. They're going to show up or something. And sure enough, here they come walking in, so uh, always good to have you guys around. Um, for those of you all who don't know, we're in uh, the book of Nehemiah and our series, Resurgent. Uh, Jared, I think you can turn 7 and 8 down a little bit. It may not bother other people, but it, it bugs me a little bit. I don't like hearing my voice, so I kind of know like, why my kids cry a lot. So we're in the book of Nehemiah in this series called Resurgence. It could be titled Revival, Resurgence, just seemed like a, a little bit different word. They're, they're synonymous, right? And the whole idea is, as you look at the, the Old Testament and, and you see, um, we, we talked about the exile, right? They, they were taken into captivity, uh, the, the Jews, and then they, they were able to start coming back, and we read about these events, and um, Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther and Haggai, we, we see all of these events transpiring um, at the same time, so we get these stories. But what Nehemiah has, has been doing has been leading this resurgence and rebuilding the wall and the community of God. So he's, he's been getting a lot of work done, right? It's just like for years nothing's got done, and Nehemiah comes in, he's like, enough's enough. Like, we're going to get things done, and we're not going to sit here. And, and the issue that we've talked about is, is it's not about the walls that were down necessarily, right? The, the walls prevented them from doing things within their community that they should have been doing. So the walls gave them this sense of security where they would actually go into the newly rebuilt temple and, and worship, right? It's like, why would you build a home if you're not going to live in it because you don't have a fence? Nehemiah's like, this is ridiculous. Let's just put the fence around it, and we can enjoy our home, right? We can enjoy what, what God has given to us, and we can praise Him, we can thank Him, we can worship Him as the one true God. So Nehemiah 5, that's where we're going to be this morning. If you guys would, you can go ahead and turn there. You guys, if you don't already have an ESV scripture journal of Nehemiah, that's our gift to you. You can go out in the lobby and grab one off that cart out there. Again, our gift to you. We want you guys to take notes, to ask questions, to talk about these things in group, bring them up in group, be in group. Group's very important. It's where we do life together. But Nehemiah 5 is, is like a new event, right? Something else that Nehemiah is taking care of. But it's like a reoccurring theme. Everything that we read here in Nehemiah 5, you're going to see this same kind of idea, right? And I'm, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but the main point today, and I'm going to hit it again, is stand for justice. But then the point that like are pushing us to that for standing for justice is we got to recognize the problem. You see the problem, then you work towards change, and then sacrificial living. And we, we saw that, right? Nehemiah, he got the report in chapter 1 that Jerusalem's walls were down, the gates were still destroyed by fire, like everything was just, the people were in shame. So he, he gets the record of this, and he doesn't just get hurt by it. He doesn't just see the problem, but he sees the need for change, then he goes on about sacrificial living. So it's almost like we're getting this same thing, just a new situation that Nehemiah is having to address. And we, we know that, right? We understand that in life. Like, once you fix one problem, you got another. And then you're in that problem, and you're like, it's different, but it's not. Like, the exact same process that I'm having to take, and 
just starts to feel like monotonous, like you're just doing it over and over and over again. But church, we should never stop fighting for what is just. And the most just thing we can do is give the creator of all things the praise and glory that is only due to his name. That's what we should be fighting for, church. I want to read just these first five verses of Nehemiah 5 before we pray and really dive in like good Baptists. But verse 1 picks up. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. I'm actually going to go to verse 6 here. I was very, Nehemiah's words, I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. Church, when, when people oppose God, when they go against God's word, this should, this should not just be something like, uh, but it should be something that, that angers us with righteous anger. We're going to dive into that this morning, but let's be in an attitude of prayer for we're going to need it. Father, thank you for this morning, God, and I pray right now that, that these words would begin to stir in our heart, God, that, that we wouldn't be okay with the things that stand against you. God, that we wouldn't let things slide just because it's gone on for centuries, decades, years, minutes. God, at the moment, we would cut it at the source so that people could begin to focus back in on you. And, and God, I pray this morning as, as we continue to talk about this resurgence that needs to happen here in Medina and has, has already begun because you are a good and gracious God stirring in your people. I pray, God, that we would, we would see the problem here, within our own life, within our own church, within our own community, God, and we would seek that change through sacrificial living. God, you've not called us to renewal, but you've called us to radical renewal. And I pray that, that we would represent that, but God, first we must feel it. And I pray, Lord, that you would just, just show us, guide us through your grace and your mercy, help us to filter it through those, those great things so that we don't go and just act in our anger, but that our anger would stir us up to righteous living and calling people to a righteous life. Father, we love you and we praise you and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the main point this morning is stand for justice. This is a big piece of this mad puzzle that we're seeing in Nehemiah. Stand for justice. Stand for for what is right. Last week we talked about standing firm. Nehemiah is taking a lot of stances, right? He's firm in his position. He's, he says there's, there's been too many leaders, right, that have come in and they haven't been firm. I'm not going to do that. Why? Why is Nehemiah doing that? Because he understands that the mission is greater than himself and it's for God and not for him, right? And, th and that is when we will begin to stand firm. That is when we will begin to stand for justice when we understand that justice isn't something that we view as right, but when we look to God's word and we understand that it is right, whether we acknowledge it or not. So that's what, that's what happens when we understand the truth of God. We begin to stand firm in our hope in God, right? That we understand that these sinful, awful, messed up things that we're going to read about here will, will come to pass. God's word will not. So we must stand for justice, everything, every, every bit of God's word we stand for. You see, 
The walls were just a picture to the outside of the inside's current state or condition. Right? Like, when, when people can look from the outside and see that there's chaos within New Hill Church, like, if, if something happened and people were like, from the outside, like, wow, like, whatever's going on there, like, people are commenting on our Facebook post, like, it doesn't feel like that at church. What is going to happen is they're going to say, that is just a sign of what's going on on the inside. You think people are going to come visit that? No. And the people that would probably don't want it. Like, they're going to come in and be like, I'm going to poke the bear. I'm going to, you know, stir up this fire, soak it up. No. So the walls here, the physical walls, are just a picture to the outside of the inside's current state. See, they could see that. And, and they, they began to, to work on the walls, right? That's what we've been reading. But now you really get into some, some dirty details of how they're treating one another, right? It, it seems like they're super unified in their work. They're coming together to build the wall. But Nehemiah, he knew this was coming for sure. But here he gets the problem, right? As he's going to stand for justice, he, he recognizes that there is a great problem. And we need the change. And we need sacrificial living. So these are the three things that are going to point us to the overall theme of stand for justice. First is the problem. See, there are a lot of problems that Nehemiah is facing. And here is a devastating one. All right? Church, can you say problem? Nehemiah's got 99 of them, but his Lord isn't one. And he's, he's looking to focus in on God's word here. Verses 1 through 5. I'm going to read this again for us. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers, for there were those who said to... So this is the complaint that he's getting, right? Several complaints, not just one. We never get one complaint, right? Oh, how great that day would be. Like when one complaint came in and you knew it wasn't going to be a list. First complaint, with our sons and daughters, we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. There's this outcry. Like, there's just this tipping point, right? At some point in, in rebuilding the wall, people are like, all right, we, we got to let Brother Nehemiah know. Brother's got to know how bad this situation is. He's, he's come in. He's governor now. He may not be living his best, right? We're going to see that, that he turns down some of the, the big-time millionaire kind of living he could have had, that lifestyle, that he turns that down. But, but Nehemiah was wealthy. So he wasn't quite feeling the pain because a lot of the people who had been inflicting the pain were in the same position as Nehemiah is now in. So there's this outcry here. This outcry has, has changed, though. You see, we've, we've seen this outcry towards the enemy on the outside. Stand out to buy the Arabs, right? But their outcry here is not at the outside opposing force. Not Sanballat, Tobiah, not the Arabs. No. It says the outcry was against their Jewish brothers. Verse 1, you see this outcry against their Jewish brothers. I mean, it's, it's clear, right? We don't have to assume who it might be. It tells us. There's this outcry against their Jewish brothers, their own family. Me familia, they say. Their very own people. How could this be? When I was growing up, I grew up in a pretty good neighborhood for the most part. I think last week I talked about fighting, but like the fighting wasn't like 
a sign of our neighborhood being a place like where like we've taken the market value down because we're like a bunch of hood rat kids like just beating each other up all the time. Now we we fought I think as as most kids do when they're when they're young, right? We we had the things had to be addressed. But like if you would have drove through, it's just like a little U. It's called Woodward Terrace is where I grew up. And you drive through and you'd see these families, you know, me in particularly, I was a chunky kid, you'd be like, that's the kind of place I want to live, right? This kid's eating well, right? This looks like a good family-focused place, a lot of kids running around. You know, we were good when there was a car coming by, but there was this house just a couple doors down, right? And they had several kids. And I remember thinking like, man, we really got like a, a nice neighborhood. But the family, a couple doors down always sounded like they were ready for World War III. Now, I don't mean like they were like ready for World War III, like stock up on food and, and rice, and you got like everything, like you're buying this, this food that will never expire because you're waiting for that day of like Armageddon, like just this battle, and you're like ready for food. Amen, if you know what I'm talking about there. You know what I'm saying? So um, it's not like that. They were ready for World War III against each other. Like bazooka's ready to blow up their kids, Kids ready to attack the parents. I mean, it just seemed like a madhouse, right? It, it was absolutely insane. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you could have been that family growing up. Um, we turned into that family right at, right at the end of uh, uh, my, right at the beginning of my teenage years. But th- this family was just like always like they were against each other. And like, why? Like, how could you, how could you not be like loving toward one another? The, the same people you share a roof with. Yeah, we, we hate each other. We love to hate each other, but we, we would die for one another, right? But here, though, the outcry has, has to be coming from their, their hard laboring. They're, they're laboring so hard, and, and they're being taken advantage of. You see, it's one thing to be taken advantage of, right? We, we understand that happens all the time. A lot of us, we just we tell the younger generation, suck it up, it's going to happen throughout your whole life. Kind of true, right? Not a whole lot we can do. There's, you know, being taken advantage of stinks. But it's another thing to be taken advantage of when, when everything stinks, like when your life just seems like it's just full of, of nothing at the moment. When you're, you're trying to make things right, you're rebuilding the wall, you're reestablishing the worship of the God of Israel, and you're still being taken advantage of, something's got to give. But it's by your own people? Your own brothers and sisters are choking you while you're already out of breath? Like how could this be? You see, they're already oppressed and they've had enough. So they begin to lay out this complaint to Nehemiah. Verse 2, For there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. See, one of the complaints is that our family is so large we don't even have enough to stay alive. I was at Chick-fil-A this past week. I was waiting for my refill so I could go. You never leave. Don't throw your cup away at Chick-fil-A. You get a free refill, right? You don't take that lightly, especially when you pay for lemonade, which we did. So I was waiting in line to get my free lemonade, and brother walks up, he orders everything. I didn't hear everything he was saying because I was trying to pay attention to Maylee, but I remember the total coming up to over $50 and realized he had like pulled in with like a van and a multitude of kids. Can I get an amen, Don Week? So he has this multitude of kids. She says like, it's going to be 50 some dollars. And I'm like, and I like looked at him, and he must have like heard my breath being taken out of my lungs in that moment. But he kind of like looked at me and like gave me that like nod, like you'll know one day, son. And I like, and I did like a shoulder shrug back, like you got yourself into that problem, like no, not me. Like 
two kids, enough, maybe, maybe three, right? But you're not going to have like the Meadows family pulling up in a van one day, um, like, like a bus van. Like vans, cool, you know what I'm saying? I like vans. I think they're great. You can fit a lot of things in them, but not for kids, right? We're not trying to fit like a soccer team in here. And he kind of, I'm like, you did that to yourself, man. So I hear this, this first complaint. And even though that's, that's funny now, like, right, we can say that. Like, they were having a bunch of kids all the time, right? The Jews, a lot of them, they had a very big family. We read about that over and over. And they say, our family is so big, we, we can't even, it's so large, therefore we, we don't have enough. You see, this hurts, especially when you're the governor and your laborers, these people who are being faithful to the mission that you're leading them in, don't even have enough to feed their family. That hurts. Like, it can be funny to a guy at Chick-fil-A because you don't need Chick-fil-A. And you definitely don't need to spend $50 on a meal, right, at Chick-fil-A. Like, you've got options. But for this, they didn't have grain. Like, the basic, like, bread, right, and water. Like, these basic things, they're complaining to Nehemiah. Nehemiah, we don't, we don't have enough. Verse 3, another complaint. There, was, there were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. You see, people are still feeling the effect of their sin. Now, when you refer back to the book of Haggai, you see that they experienced famine because they neglected God. Right? Especially in the Old Testament, you see this. As, as they reject God, they, they oppose God, they do what God tells them not to do, and what happens? A, a curse or something is invoked upon them. And for them here, when you read in Haggai, is that they were going to be without grain. They were going to experience a great famine. Haggai deals with this. It's two chapters. Go read Haggai. We went through it last year. Very important to understand the context of this. So they hear, this isn't just a random famine. It's not like, you know, West Virginia and Ohio get flooded every so often in the summers and we have, you know, the farmers don't have a, a great crop that season. They are experiencing famine that was brought upon them by their own havoc. They were wrecking, turning against God. It was a curse and they are still feeling it here. But they aren't just hurting. One thing to like hurt, right? To struggle. But they've actually turned to mortgaging their possessions, not to buy some real estate, right? Like you hear people they're starting a business, and what they do is they, they put their home up as like collateral, right? They're gonna mortgage their home, they're gonna they're gonna put it up to, to cover some of the costs. No, this isn't like for real estate, but to be able to eat. Church, this is absurd amongst the family, and, and to be doing that, we're gonna see that. The ones doing this to them are their own brothers. Crazy. Church, if we, we don't have, if our people don't have food to eat, the last thing we should do is sit back and watch them get a loan to fix their problems. And the, last, the extra last thing we should do is be the one loaning them money at a like 15% interest rate. This is what's happening. They're taking advantage. They're not just giving them money and like, are you going to like, Pay me a hundred dollar fee, right? No, they are they are draining them, and it gets worse. Verse four, and there were those who said, so you're getting all these complaints. Different people have the different thing that they're really having a problem with, and there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards to pay their property taxes. They borrow money, like a normal bill, something. And the issue, they're too busy working that they can't work. Right? They've been gone. This isn't like an overnight thing. They've been working faithfully on this wall so they can't work their field. And then they're still being taxed. And they're like, 
We literally, we're unemployed right now. All for God. And we have nothing to give. Like, we can't pay this. So we're mortgaging our field. We're, we're getting loans to be able to pay tax. There's no payment plan. They just have to get a loan to just pay it back. This has gotten out of hand. Jerusalem is a wreck from the inside out. Why is this a problem? Because it's their Jewish brothers who are doing this to them. Instead of caring for one another, they've decided to take advantage of their own people for their personal selfish gain. Verse 5. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children are as their children, yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves and some of our daughters who have already been enslaved, but it is not our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. Things just reach the tipping point here. First off, slavery was different in the Bible and was really a good thing in its original intent. Don't be fooled when people go and tell you that God's pro-slavery. No. There's a lot of wickedness that happened by godly leaders that was rebuked, that they, they, they experienced some kind of hardship because of it. So we got to read the entire Bible, but let's talk about this. In its original intent, Leviticus allowed for slaves in this way. Leviticus 25, 39-43 says this, If your brother becomes poor beside you, notice what it doesn't go on to say is, give him a loan at a high interest rate. Make some money, brother. No, it says, if he becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. He shall be with you as a hired worker and as a sojourner. He shall serve with you until the year of the Jubilee. Then he shall go out from you, he and his children with him, and go back to his own clan and return to the possession of his father. For they are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. You shall not rule over them him ruthlessly shall fear your God. It's a very different picture than what we have of slavery today. Like when we look at that wickedness, it is nothing to be compared to with this. It did turn into that. But if we think for a second that God isn't condemning that kind of thing, we're wrong. This kind of slavery though, it's you, if you needed money, you could enlist yourself and your family to become slaves or servants, better way to put it, to help you get back on your feet. Right? You're going to enlist for a period of time to get some money to get back on your feet. And then what does it say? Then you let them return. If you're the one who is hiring them, then you let them return to their own clan. You don't keep them. You have to be treated like a worker, not a possession. Secondly, so first off, it, it was different. But secondly, look at how they broke this system. The problem here. They're taking the kids as slaves, which means they're leaving the family separated. The fathers aren't giving themselves to be enlisted into to slavery or, or being a servant to get their family back on their feet. They're getting rid of their kids. Their kids are being taken from them to, to go and, and to work. And then the other problem with it, they are being treated as slaves. They aren't getting what they deserve for doing the work. They're being treated as possessions and not as servants. Not as the hired help. How could you possibly take advantage of your own family? Now my question here, church, for us today in this point, the, the problem, my question for us is, how do we seek to take advantage of our church family? It's not something that just creeps up on us. We've got something else that's, that's blocking our focus. 
And what Nehemiah is, is really hitting on here is what Jesus he challenged us in the New Testament. Do you serve God or you serve yourself? And he's challenging that here because what has happened is, is they've become so money hungry on, on building up their own estate, on building up their own selfish personal kingdom and seeking that gain that, that they are destroying the community of God. So how do we seek to take advantage of our church family? How are we profiting off our brother's demise? See, are, we, are we seeking as a church to restore people in moments of hopelessness or are we looking to wreck them? To just run them over into the pavement and make them part of the plan. right? That we are getting there and if you're in the way, we're going to steamroll you. Because that's not what should happen, church. We should see these problems. We should, we should keep our eyes open. Maybe, maybe there isn't a problem now, but our eyes should be open. We should be standing for justice. We should see these problems. And as with the majority of the book of Nehemiah so far, which should be the case for our life, is Nehemiah sees the problem and he turns to seek the change. Point number two, we should be seeking the change and we shouldn't just acknowledge the problem. If we see a, a brother or sister struggling, we shouldn't seek to take advantage of them. We should also be looking to make sure that they aren't being taken advantage of. See, it takes a community here. The change. What does Nehemiah do about this jacked up situation? Well, look at verse 6. I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. In West Virginia, we call that getting red. Like he got red. Like my family, we're, we're known, the, the men on the meadow side, were known to get red. Right? Not from being out in the sun and getting burned, but because we feel burned and we're going to burn back. Right? We become like a flaming hot torch, ready to just burn whatever is in our way. He becomes angry. And like a good leader, he hears his people's cry and he doesn't take it lightly. See, that's the problem is, is we. We desire these leadership positions, right? We, we would love to be a leader. We'd love to lead this ministry. We'd love to lead this group. We'd love to be a leader even in our job. But we don't want to get our hands dirty. We'd rather hear this problem and be like, I'm pat him on the back. Like, I'm sure it's going to get better, right? I'm sure if someone does step up to the plate and seeks the change, it will get better. But we as leaders, we must be doing that. And let me say this. Each and every one of you all is called to lead this charge, right? And we, as, as the pastors of, of New Hill Church, we are trying to direct us, but each person has to take ownership and become a leader to guide us in this thing as well. It's a team effort. Like a good leader, he hears the people's cry, he doesn't take it lightly, he becomes filled with rage. And you look at Ecclesiastes 4.1. You see Solomon, he wrote this, and Nehemiah surely feels the same burden. But Solomon writes this here. He says, Again, I saw the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they had had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors was power. On the side of their oppressors there was power. And there was no one to comfort them. Like If you don't read that and like feel the pain and just the agony, for those who are being oppressed, not just by Dan Ballot and an enemy, but by, by those with power. And then it says that they had no one to comfort them. 
Nehemiah is hearing this in just the years of, of torment that they've been put through. It says here he's, he's angry. I was very angry when I heard these. Righteous anger. The responsibility he feels here to step up, to be the change. How does a person typically respond when they're filled with anger? Not well. Get red. Meadows family, we get red. We act out of impulse. That's, that's the typical thing that people who don't know Jesus as their Lord, that's, that's what our flesh tells us to do. Hey, you got burned, burn back. Right? If you feel like you've been defeated, defeat back. Nehemiah, however, look in verse 7. I took counsel with myself. Nehemiah, however, he doesn't, he doesn't do what we would normally do. He does something that is key for us when we're seeking change. Take counsel with yourself. Instead of fighting the ones causing the affliction, he takes a moment to himself to reflect. Right? When, when things go wrong, like you get like a family meeting together, right? Like when something has happened, you're like, hey, get the family together. We got to figure out like what we're going to do. Right? Family can't pay bills. Well, what are we going to do? We're going to rally around each other. We're going to call a family meeting. And then we're going to look at bills. We're going to say, hey, this, how are we going to address it? There's a problem. We need change. And that's what he does. But he takes a moment to himself to consider, to reflect on how he should handle this situation. And Nehemiah at this point is the governor. So he has a duty, he has an obligation to oversee the operations, interactions, and status of the economy in Jerusalem. The walls will be torn down again if they don't get this stuff situated. We could build up a, a beautiful steeple. We could have the most gorgeous stained glass in all of the world. The most beautiful building, elaborate. We could build walls around it. It could look like a heaven on earth. But if we together, church, are not together, church, the walls will come crumbling back down. The stained glass will become broken from rocks that we've thrown at each other's head. So he takes a moment. He says, what are we going to do? What, what am I going to do to seek the change here? So what's he do? Took counsel with myself, he says, and I brought charges against the nobles and officials, and I said to them, you are exacting interest each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them. So he brings charges. Mic drop. This is serious stuff. And he not only brings charges, this is a big move for Nehemiah. He's not charging some lowly criminal, right? Like the, the bum of the town. Like, oh, he's an easy target, right? No, he goes after the nobles and the officials. He says, enough is enough. We're done with this. We see the problem. This is going to be the change, guys. I'm charging you all. I'm charging you. We aren't going to do this to one another anymore. This is what makes the entire chapter so sick because the, one, the ones charging and leading this ship, they're charging their brother's interest, they're leading the ship, are the ones who have been oppressing their brothers. They look good. They're helping with the wall. They're doing things, right? The outcry comes out. No. They're strangling. They're digging a, a deeper hole. This must be fixed before we move on. So he, he took counsel, he made the charge, and then verse 8, So he, it says, And I held a great assembly against them and said to them in this assembly, he says, We, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers 
that they may be sold to us? They were silent and could not find a word to say. Nehemiah has been trying for quite some time to buy back his brother. He's telling you, he's been buying them back. Like, this is a big problem as is, and you all are the ones leading it? I've been trying to buy him back, and I can't buy him back quick enough. For some time, he's been buying back his brothers that have been sold into slavery, only to find out it's the leaders who've led this entire charge of selling and taking advantage of their brothers. And the ones oppressing the people and causing them to put their children up as slaves, mortgaging their fields and vineyards, their family, their Jewish brothers. He charges them in front of an assembly, puts them on the spot. And what's it say? It says, they were silent. They were silent and could not find a word to say. One time this, this guy, he got caught up in some kind of sin and for some reason, it's just like, hey, like, you're new to ministry, Michael. This is a great opportunity to call him out on his sin. I'm like, great. Like, sure. A couple years in the ministry, like, why not? Before we, before we leave the old mountain state of West Virginia, why not give me this, you know, put it on my plate? Like, oh, yeah, sure, guys, I'll take care of it. I remember calling this guy up and I say, hey, um, let's meet up. I just need to talk, okay? All right, sounds good. He knew, right? You could, you could hear it. And I remember, like, laying everything out. And it's like, you can, you can picture this with kids. I, I've got numerous stories. You lay everything out. You've got the evidence. you completely caught red-handed. You lay it before them, and they're just like, and you're like, say something. Hello? I know you're busted, but hey, we're going to fix this because it's not over. Because in Jesus, we find redemption. It's not all lost. But first, we see the problem, and then we seek the change. So he's telling him, he says, if we're going to change, you fools need to be called out. You can't keep going on doing this. They were without a word. They couldn't find a word to say, which is probably good because when I've been busted by my parents before, you're just like, uh, I didn't do it, right? And you're like, I should have just kept my mouth shut and just not said anything. But here, they didn't have a word to say. So then Nehemiah's like, here, let me just keep talking then, right? So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunt of the nation, our enemies? Tells them. We're not going to be made fun of by those outside of God's kingdom. You are sinning when you should be fearing God. See, Church, the Bible talks a lot about fearing God and how healthy it is to have a fear of the Lord. The beginning of, the wisdom, of wisdom is fear of the Lord. Right? The Bible, it continually talks about this. This isn't like this fear of being like, struck down. We talk about this all the time. It's, it's the response to knowing who God is. Being left in awe and wonder, knowing His mighty, great power. By doing what they've been doing, they're given reason for the enemy to mock them. They're giving them ammo to mock and ridicule the Jewish people. Look at the Jews, how they're selling their people just to be able to eat. Look at those fools, right? Look at them. They can't even eat grain. They've got to give their kids up to slavery, right? Oh, look at them. Their walls are down. They're not even worshiping God, but their God isn't that strong. Look at how their leaders' bellies are fat while the children go without food. The enemy finds that and mocks 
Nehemiah says, these things shouldn't be so. We should fear God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies. Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. So a good leader leads by example. If you want change, be the change. Nehemiah and his posse begin offering money and grain interest-free to take care of their brothers and sisters who were working tirelessly on this wall so that people would begin to restore the worship of God. You see, he's trying to restore not simply a nation, but a people made for worship. So he's leading by example. Look, me and moreover, I and my brothers, we've already been doing this, guys. Get on board. There's a problem here. Be the change. Let's seek change. Verse 11, return to them. This very day their fields, return and their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, so may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen. And praised the Lord and the people did as they had promised. You see, Nehemiah has, has them to restore all things. He says, you've been doing these crazy wicked things. Not only are we going to change the future, we're going to make amends with the past. We're going to make the past right. You're going to give everything back. We're going to quit doing this nonsense. Our people are going to prosper. And, and when people see us prospering, they're going to know that our God is strong. They're not going to mess with Yahweh. They're not going to come at these walls, and they're not going to try and divide us from within. Let's stand firm together. You see, this reminds me of Jesus' moment with Zacchaeus. Right? Someone who extorted from, from his own people. Right? He was despised because of it. And he was challenged by Jesus and decided that he'd go above and beyond to pay back more than he had taken. But what it took was that challenge. Because Jesus had, had seen the problem and required change from him. You see this shook out the fold. I'm like, he's shaking out the fold. I'm like thankful for commentaries that can like relate these, these older comparisons to, to what we know. This is like a covenant, right? That Nehemiah is creating this covenant renewal that anyone who would fail in keeping this new covenant, right? They're promising that they would not do these things anymore. If they did, if they went back to their old ways, if they became the problem that we've been talking about, they would lose everything. Be like picking up the kid at you know, like the lunch table and you're like shaking him to get his change out. Like shake out the fold, right? I don't know if any of you all have ever like shaken anybody at a lunch table, but you know, like to get change out of their pocket. Anybody? No? Okay. So those kind of things they, they happen. So this is the, the covenant that he's saying. He said, God is going to shake the fold here, and if we disobey this covenant, this is what's going to happen. Now the question here, church, is how are we willing to seek change? We understand that there's a problem and we know that there needs to be change. But Nehemiah doesn't just sit back. Reoccurring theme. He seeks the change. He understands that change must happen. Not change being taken from pockets, but that we are seeking change within our community. That way God 
to be worshipped? What are we doing to see the oppression of our brothers and sisters lifted? And how are we challenging these social norms to seek spiritual resurgence? You see, just because the world tells us we need to treat people a certain way doesn't mean that we neglect how God has called us to treat one another. Now, if you work at a bank and you give out loans, I'm not telling you that you need to quit your job. This is what they were doing personally among one another. It was wrong. If someone comes to me and they tell me that, that they need food for money, I'm not guaranteeing you that I'm not going to say I need that paid back event. Right? But what I'm not going to do is suffocate my brother and sister with this huge interest rate. It's not a shark tank deal. I'm not trying to get equity in your food. Right? I want you to be able to eat. So what are we doing to, to seek this change together? And see, Nehemiah doesn't stop there. See, this process leads him into sacrificial living, better known to us in our core values, radical renewing, that, that we are walking in the way of the flesh. We've been saved by the grace of God, for the glory of God, to go and live radically renewed. Amen, church. Let me read this, this rest for us. 14 through uh, verse 19. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year of, to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them their daily uh, ration, 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work of the, on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered therefore the work. Moreover, there were, uh, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds. And every ten days, all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor, because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. Nehemiah turns to sacrificial living. See, Nehemiah could have taken that allowance, because it was something that was given to the governor at the time. But what he chooses to do is to forego it so that the burden could be lifted off of the people. See, John Piper says it, it best kind of in our today's time. He once said this in one of his books. He said, a $70,000 salary does not have to be accompanied by a $70,000 lifestyle. No matter how grateful we are, gold will not make the world think that our God is good. It will make people think that our God is gold. And this is the, the real challenge that has happened here. What, what has infiltrated the, the, the people of God, the Jews here in Jerusalem, is money. They have made for themselves a God. For us, it would be a green God, and we can't get enough of it. Even better than that, a greater God is this little card that you can swipe and you literally never have any idea. I've got two here. I've got two on the back. I've got cards all day. I've got limit, but once I hit that limit, I'm on to the next one. Because we can't get enough of it. And the problem is, is we're, we're trying to uh, 
just show the world how, how fancy our living and luxurious our life can be when God has called us to a humble life where, as Piper just hits it best, is you could get that raise that you've been so longing for. But I can tell you what, 90% of people, when they get a raise, I never know that they got a raise. Why? Because they never have anything to give for themselves, to show for themselves. What, a car? Okay. It's a cool car. Oil change in it's expensive. Getting your tires rotated on a car like that is expensive, right? Maserati must be a nice lifestyle. Now, it's not saying that you can't do these things, that you can't own these things, but when we elevate our salary, our money, our possessions, the materialistic things that this world tells us we need to have over God, then we are not worshiping God. We are worshiping money. We are worshiping ourselves. And it's so wrong, and this is exactly what what he's doing, and Nehemiah is leading the charge. So, so church, you could almost consider it first. If you want to be the change, just come straight to sacrificial living because that will take place. People will see it, and it will catch on. We have those conversations with people like Nehemiah did when we need to, right? We call them out. But we don't call them out to shame them. We call them out to redeem them. The question is, is how sacrificial are we living? And these points, you look at it, church. This is, this is the gospel. The problem. What is the problem? Sin. What is the fix? What is the change? Jesus Christ. And what does He call us to? Sacrificial living. Knowing that everything that we have is not our own. Everything that we are is not ourselves. Because when we are no longer in the flesh, but living in the Spirit, it's by God and His grace that we are able to reflect the goodness of God. The grace of God. The mercy of God. See, resurgence starts within ourselves. And this is the message, church, that we need to hear this morning is the gospel. Ben, you can go ahead and come back up. It can be, we could say that the problem is money. We could say it's injustice. We could say it's oppression. We could say it's racism. We could say it's abortion. We could say it's all these things. And we, what we've turned to do is we've turned to call them social issues. And we've turned to call it social justice. But church, what we should be doing is fighting for gospel justice. We should be fighting and not calling it a social issue, but a gospel issue. Because none of these things will be redeemed. None of these things will see the light of God until they experience the grace of God. So what we do is we, we take these issues, call them what you want, the problem, and we understand it's sin. And then we point people to God. And we tell them about the good news found only in a Savior named Jesus. Now what you're not going to get with a lot of people is silence. You're going to offend people. That doesn't matter because you were called to sacrificial living. And you share and you love and you hope and you pray for the person you are sharing with. Because that's how spiritual research is. When we stand faithful, when we stand firm, not in our own belief, but in truth, only found in Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much just for, for your word. God, not for, for confusion. We, we have no confusion here. We have questions all the time, but confusion we have not. Lord, you have given us the answers. You've given us this, this way of living. And, and though our flesh pulls us away from it, God, we know that you are good, God, and I pray that we would, we would fear you in a healthy way. God, that, that would lead us into, in our own life, seeing the problem seeking the change, only found in your word. 
and the result being sacrificial living. God, as a church family, I pray that as we move forward, that we would continue to see the problem, seek the change only found in your word, and we together collectively would seek sacrificial living. God, and as we go to share the good news, we would teach people that there is a problem. Change is needed, found in your son. And that leads us into sacrificial living. Lord, we, we love you, and we just ask that you would just continue to stir in our hearts as we go home to have these conversations with our families, God, that we would be talking to our friends. Maybe, maybe we see a problem, but we need help with the change. That's okay. That's why we do life together. That's why you've called us to this community, God. You didn't de- design us. You didn't create us to do this thing alone. You've given us one another, and I, I pray that we would, we would praise you for that, having this community of believers to, to, to praise your name and to, to lift one another up through good times and bad, we say, yes, I will. We are together. We are going to praise your name. For you, our Lord, deserve all the praise, the honor, and the glory. We love you. We pray. All God's people said, amen. <laughs>